0: Just want to pop in before the episode starts here. We have a great interview with Jason Malone. We talk link building, which is something I actually spent a huge amount of time on my first few years starting sites and running sites and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, I got a little bored of it. Very effective, but you'll hear through the conversation today that it's it's very capital intensive, it's resource intensive from a effort standpoint. And if you have a team, it takes a, a huge amount of time from them too. So today we talk about how Jason got started in internet marketing in general, a little bit of his history, which is cool. I didn't know him before we chatted today. So we were able to uh, you know get to know each other a little bit better. And we had kind of some parallel paths and then diverged a little bit which we talk about in the interview the thing that's very interesting and is potentially most useful for you listener is that we go into exactly what you would need to do to run a link building campaign so jason runs we outreach and highly recommend them they have great reputation out there for getting you know good backlinks so recommend you check it out if you are looking to outsource this activity but if you are just looking to dabble you'll hear how someone that has several years of experience would design a campaign from start to finish we get into some very specific details including like warming up an email address and how to set up it's like the the email server and maybe the domain and a email domain which If it doesn't make sense, it will once we get into the conversation, but it can get very in-depth. And again, I used to do a lot of link building, but eventually I got a little bit bored of all the details. So check out We Outreach if you're looking to outsource this uh, activity. And at the end, Jason lets us know like the right kind of client. It's not necessarily a cheap service at all. It's kind of a premium service, white glove situation, but when you have that, which is kind of how I you know, back in the day, I did some link building when I had a small service. That's what I did. It was very like hands-on. The, the clients were treated really well and uh, gosh, it just wore me out for all. So anyway, hope you enjoyed this interview. Please check out We Outreach if you are interested in uh, getting some backlinks out there. I'm an affiliate, so I would get a commission if you do sign up, which I greatly appreciate. So let's get to the show. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Huntington, and today we're going to talk link building. I have Jason Malone from We Outreach, and it's a great agency. They do, we'll, we'll get into the details, but they build some links out there via outreach. And if I have the stats right, you guys have built over 10,000 links for clients over the, the past couple years or so. So we're going to get into some details, including uh, Jason's history, how he got into this, you know, SEO business model, and uh, just generally how to build good backlinks out there. So, Jason, welcome to the show. How's it going today? Hey, Doug, all good. Uh, Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So let's let's get an intro, and I. I don't know you that well, we exchanged a few emails. So I want to know a little bit about you, how you got into SEO, you know, what you're doing now. So kind of broadly, you know, what's what's your introduction?
1: Yeah, so uh, I've been doing like affiliate marketing broadly uh, and SEO for like 12 or 13 years now. And uh, the whole thing started like, I guess I sort of stumbled into it. it. It wasn't a very planned thing at all. I just was in high school and university and decided, okay, I really don't want to go and get like uh, a nine to five job because I already hated school. And like in my last year there, I was skipping tons of classes and stuff like that. And so to go to an environment where you can't just like skip work, otherwise, like you get fired or whatever, uh, like that sounded like pure misery to me. So I yeah started off like playing poker uh, online, uh, which actually I think, I mean, it, it can work. It's just a bit of a grind. Uh but from there, there was this really good form called uh the two plus two uh form, like a poker form and I kind of found the warrior form from there i don't know if you remember that one but like uh an old internet marketing uh sort of forum and in there just started to learn about s e o and affiliate marketing and that was like okay like this is my uh this is my way to avoid having to get like a normal job and kind of be trapped in a in a nine to five type of situation. Uh, and yeah, started from there. I, I remember back in like 2010 or 11, like building my first Amazon, uh, sites. And that, that summer, like maybe summer 2012, I actually started a service building those Amazon sites for, for like clients. So like if someone wanted to get into Amazon stuff, like I would build them like a simple site with like 15 reviews or, or something like that in a, in a certain niche and sell it for, I don't even remember, like $500 or something like that. But. That was that plus my own small sites was like how I got started back then. And uh, yeah, I've done a few other forms of affiliate marketing since then, but came back in 2016 ish, uh, got back into SEO with uh, my own sites. And then in 2018, through the uh, authority hacker community, I eventually started We Outreach and yeah, I, I realized like I was good at link building and liked link building and the processes of it and everything. And many other of, like, my acquaintances and friends in the authority hacker community were the opposite. They just liked to make content and were really good at the sites side of things, but really didn't like the the link building. And I was, like, the opposite of that. And it was a kind of a natural fit. Someone, like, that I kind of know and respect in the group was at, was talking about the struggles of link building one day. And I just kind of commented on the thread and, like, hey, if you give me a $1,000, like, I'll build you 10 links a month and we'll see how it goes. And got my first, like, or three clients within a few days doing that and it's sort of uh, yeah grown from there uh to now like you said built over ten thousand links and it's, it's over five years later um the team is like about 20 people now and and uh yeah we're, it's we're, we're still really popular within the authority hacker community but we've expanded outside of that as well so it's uh yeah it's been a journey cool Yeah, you've been doing it for
0: a long time, and it's interesting to hear, even in the early days, it sounded like uh, 2010 to 2011, you identified the business model of like building the sites, a done-for-you type site, which is still a very popular business model. So what drew you to do that versus, right? Because back then- the competition wasn't as high you could have you know built a site seo was a little different you could kind of spam your way to the top and you could do it faster too much faster now now it takes you know a, a year or two years to get your traction the point being you could have earned a whole lot more money potentially with your own site versus selling you know 500 bucks to build a site so what drew you to the agency type uh, you know client serving model
1: Yeah. Um, I think I, I think I didn't have, uh, like an appreciation of just how big the opportunity was, uh, back then. Uh, like, and if I had have realized the, the time that I was in, like a new platform with this new algorithm that's super easy to game and like, uh, the sort of spoils you can read if you do that successfully, then I definitely would have just focused more on my own sites. And I I had my own sites too at this time, but they were like much smaller. And like type of the type of sites that make like a few hundred dollars a month or something like that, and it wasn't super significant, and I didn't have a clear understanding of how to do better with that. And I think the thing with uh, agencies, and it's still true with We Outreach, and also the reason why I ended up starting We Outreach, which we could talk uh, a bit about too if you like. But um, it was that was a much clearer way to like get a lot of cash like upfront and. There was like one summer I remember like university ended and I was like, okay, like I want cash like now. And I was like, uh, I saw people on the warrior form, like posting these like ads for different services they can do. And I thought, what service can I do? Well, I know how to make these sites. And so I just started doing that and there was a market for it. Then you start getting some positive reviews and then like you kind of go, go from there. And uh, yeah, I guess the struggle of it is it's hard to like once, once you establish a service or an agency. Uh, I think pretty much every agency owner, myself included, say like, oh, by this time next year, I'm going to have transitioned back to my own businesses for sure. Nobody ever seems to do it, though. And I think it's because the better you get at the agency model, it's like you have more to gain from just continuing to get better at the agency rather than going back to your own stuff. And some people do make the transition back and I'm still hopeful. I think I will uh, eventually, not right now, but next few years and uh but it's just every same as every agency owner so yeah Yeah. i i I think that was it i think that's why i went down that road you still haven't learned your lesson you know not yet apparently no no still uh yeah need need some more pain to learn that one it seems next year yeah clients are the
0: worst but those are my (laughs) words not jason's okay so let's um (laughs) a, a couple other things that i i noticed here so in 2018, if I got it right, that's when you kind of got back into it and you're like, all right, we're going to do the agency thing. So in 2016, it sounds like that's when you got into the authority hacker, um, you know, suite of courses and stuff. Great stuff over there. Those guys are brilliant. So it, it sounds like you were trying to get your sites go or trying to build some sites. Like, how, how did that go? Like, did you have any success out of the 2016 like
1: uh, cohort yeah. there? Yeah, so, um, so for like a period between 2014 and 2016, I had been doing like affiliate marketing with paid traffic basically, and had done okay with that. But it was a bit fickle. It was like, um, it depends on, I mean, with paid traffic, sometimes you do well, sometimes you just get nothing. And also you build no asset along the way. So you have nothing to sustain you through the, the, the bad times. If your campaigns stop working, then you're sort of screwed. Uh, and so that was good for those two years did okay. But in 2016, uh, that kind of wrapped up or like me and the people I I was working with decided not to work on it anymore. I was like too getting too difficult and just getting more and more difficult. And so that's what prompted me to kind of go back to SEO that I had known before. And then yeah, I I, right away, like even before I finished working with the other guys, I, I bought a site in the last few months, like a small site, I think I bought it for like Fifteen grand uh, or something like that, and then like eight months later, sold it for maybe sixty-ish or something like that. So it was a nice, like, small win to kind of get me back into the into the run of things. Um, and then yeah, joined the Authority Hacker course. Like I, like I, like we talked about earlier, uh, I didn't like I was okay at SEO when I was first doing it, like in twenty ten to twenty twelve or whatever. But I really wanted like the the best information I could get because. Uh, to like bring my skills up to like the current uh, current era that it was in, and that's how I had gotten really good at the paid traffic stuff before. Was like I was in a paid community, I met a bunch of people in there, and I learned like okay, that's a really good system for getting good at something and like finding the best information and the best people that you can learn from in in a certain field. So I wanted to find the best course that ideally cost like you know a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, so I could get into a community and do the same thing again. And that's what that's how I got into Authority Hacker and yeah, started a few of my old sites around then one or two of them did well. I did the classic thing where I thought, oh, I can make it go much faster if I just build three sites at once instead of one. And then, uh, you know, one of them did well, one did okay. And then the other like was just never got anywhere. Um, and then, yeah, sold one of those sites uh, at one point and the other was still doing sort of okay. Um, But then what prompted the change to uh, We Outreach was one, there was like this opportunity for it where it lined up that I had this skill set that fit with what people in the authority hacker community didn't have and what they wanted from me. Um, And the other thing was I uh, mismanaged my finances terribly when uh, back like then and ended up with a tax bill that was basically like much larger than I expected it to be. Larger than I had money to to pay for, and that sort of prompted me. Like suddenly, I didn't have time to like slowly invest in building up a site. I needed cash like now, and then that combined with the fact that you know I I knew people in this community who wanted a link building service, and it all lined up. That's what prompted me to like transition to We Outreach, and then since then it was the same thing. Ah, I'll do this for a year, sort out these problems. Then you know, oh, also I can use this cash flow to get back into my own sites. And I met a guy in a mastermind, I remember around that time, and he was just laughing at me, shaking his head, saying like, we're going to talk again in two, three years, and you're going to be all in on the agency stuff. And sure enough, he he, he was right, uh, because the further along you get, it's like the more cost you have to like re-transition back to, right. to the other stuff. So yeah, that's, okay. uh, that's what prompted the transition. Got it. Okay. There's a couple of threads I want to follow, and then
0: we'll get onto the link building stuff. Um, sure. number one, a little bit earlier, I think it was like twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen, I got laid off. And I I basically had a similar business, right? It was very profitable. It was going great. I was getting new clients. Like just like you, I was like, Oh, I kinda I have a pretty good system, but I realized that I didn't like working with clients that much. <laughs> and when I played it out, it's good for us to talk. When I played it out in my head, I was like, if this is successful, I'm gonna have twenty people, a couple middle managers, and then I'm gonna have to keep the pipeline full, all the headaches that you're you're think you think about, right? Yep. So I was like, I don't wanna do that. So I pulled the plug after about six months or so. So I like I got out of there before it became successful, like too successful. Um, so it's interesting to hear and I mean it's just you know every business model has its pros and cons and the risks the competition all that kind of stuff so there's no free ride but interesting to hear like the path that i did not take it turns out just like i
1: thought it would have no question there but do you have any thoughts on that uh yeah oh oh, i think i think you hit on it right that every every business model does have pros and cons and at first because i'm also like i'm also not the type who is like really, really good at working with clients, like I'm, it's not my natural sort of skill set. So the first two years that took a lot of uh, effort and energy for me. Uh, but now, like one thing I am really good at is outsourcing. And so now I have like an operations manager, we have like um an account executive, we have like a client manager, account manager. And so like they, they are like the system that surrounds they they they're the system that support the people that we work with the clients that we work with and so i'm kind of insulated from that work that i i didn't like that much anymore and once i got over that hurdle that's when i actually started to like the business a lot more because now this part that was difficult for me is taken care of by someone who's really really good at that who's much better than me at that type of stuff and i can just think of it like as as a business so i can do what i like to do which is like think about the the strategy and the high level of the business and stuff like that. And then then you also realize like, oh, and I have this great cash flow model as as well. And that's that's a really good part of an agency. And so I think trying to set it up in a way where you get the good parts and like mitigate the bad parts. You can't remove them. Obviously there's no free ride, like you said, but uh I, I think you can learn what you're good at and sort of fit yourself into a business in a way that makes the most sense for you. Um so that's what that's what I've done. It's not perfect, but it uh it's yeah, it's going reasonably so far, I would say. Perfect.
0: The other part is the tax bill. So can you yeah. quickly share Good the times. story and how people can avoid that sort of an issue?
1: Yeah. As, I mean, so what happened there was uh like I said, I was doing pretty well with the affiliate marketing with paid traffic. Uh and I had like no appreciation of how to handle all of this like new money that was coming in because uh, I mean it happened so quickly which was good for for me obviously to have like an early success but I was all I was so not prepared for it and like I didn't even have uh, a company registered uh, in the first like year or two and all this money was coming in just like personal earnings for me I didn't even know how to account for it at first like uh, I I had nothing, no tax number or anything, just all this money coming into my bank account. And uh, yeah, then uh, so in my head, it was like, oh, if I make a thousand dollars, then like I made a thousand dollars today. So it seems like I can afford like $400 for that thing that I want. That seems reasonable. I still have 600 left over. And then a year later, you talk to an accountant and they go back through the numbers and they're like, oh, actually, that's not how this works. Uh, and so that's how I got myself into a situation with, with a tax bill. And I would, and so it, one part of that, so for other people who, who to help others avoid that, I think one part of it was good, which is there's no point trying to like optimize your taxes before you have income. So, so I think some people get too caught up in that, like wanting to have a perfect system before they actually have something that is generating cash coming into their bank account. So I think that in, in that sense, my approach was good to like focus on figuring that out first. But uh, yeah, people definitely need to be more aware than I was of like, okay, like once you see cash coming in and you see you have uh, you have a system or some sort of process that's like producing this cash, then it's definitely a good time to take a pause for a sec and figure out like, okay, how do I account for this? And also think about it not in terms of like, actually, probably from the very start, it would be a good idea to not think about like, oh, I made $1,000 from this client, but actually to think about okay, I made $1,000 and let me figure out the tax rate and stuff. So, okay, actually, after all the taxes, that's like $500 that is the real value of this. And having some sort of simple mental model like that could be good. And just being conservative at the start, not, oh, I made a $1,000 so I can spend half of it on whatever bullshit I want. Just like keep putting, it, setting it aside and like making sure that you're, yeah, you're liquid because I, yeah, looking back on it now, like it's really easy to get knocked out, even if you have some good excesses, successes, successes and early on. Early on, if you get a tax bill, you can't pay. Like the government, don't care. They'll empty your bank account, and good luck to you. See you later. And then, like you're bankrupt or in debt or whatever, and then that like uh, undermines all your other projects or or businesses in the future. So yeah, yeah. Consult your
0: uh, tax professionals or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like when uh whatever athletes or something, they somehow go bankrupt. It's because you know they have whatever like a two million dollar contract. They spend like 2 million, but they have uh, managers, they have taxes, they have all this other stuff. So they're in the hole like by a million bucks or something like that. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, if you save like, again, not tax advice or anything like that, just entertainment. But if you (laughs) sock aside like 30 to 40%, like that'll probably cover what you need. But yeah, if you sell a big site, all of a sudden you have whatever, a few hundred thousand bucks in the bank but yep. you have to pay a good chunk of it for taxes. So, okay, yep. cool. Uh, one last thing. What What did you study
1: in university? What was your major? What were you going for? Uh, I did like business and management, but I actually dropped out one year before getting the degree because I thought, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I've got, I've got into like affiliate marketing instead.
0: Okay, cool. And then you never had like a corporate kind of job or whatever, you've always been self-employed? Yep. Cool. All right. Awesome. Let's start transitioning into link building. So, you have this skill set. You realize that other people didn't like link building. What is it about
1: link building that you do enjoy, and what makes you good at it? Um. So, I think I was very willing to set up uh, processes and use tools like Mailshake and stuff to actually like interact with the with the the world outside of your own website and I, I think that was the biggest uh barrier that i noticed in o- in other website owners they didn't want to do that like they were very happy to set up the site and make it look good make sure the content was good but they were like many people were intimidated uh by actually like putting themselves out there and like emailing real people and showing them their site and also trying to be like assertive enough to actually because y- you can't you can't like be too passive when you email someone and ask for a link because it's not going to work and like The whole thing is a a numbers game. So you need to be like assertive and drive towards the end goal that you want, which is like obviously to land a link for your website. And I think I felt like I had none of those uh, mental barriers. And I just thought of the whole thing as just like a big numbers game. And so it, it was very like intuitive to me that like, okay, if I want one link, like the first thing I need to do is find like 200 prospects. And then of those, once I go and find contact information, I have like whatever However many of those left, then I email them, I get like however many responses, and then out of all of that big numbers game, the links come out at the end uh and so that was like simple and easy for me to to set up uh and then yeah, just filling out the different parts then like outsourcing the different parts of of the process uh was was like also i also i mean uh I'm not sure if I'm good at outsourcing or if I'm just really lazy and I'm more willing to like. To trust people to actually get the job done. Uh, but it turns out that that is actually what all of the management books say is like, give people autonomy and, uh, uh, to, and yeah, accountability to take care of their tasks. And which when I learned that I was naturally kind of lazy and, uh, like not good at staying on top of the details, good at getting something started, but not at like maintaining it and taking care of the details. So when I learned that like, Oh, okay. Actually, the very best strategy here is to give it to someone else. I was like, perfect like it fits right in uh, so i yeah i i think i'm good at, at doing that and that i think is is what came together to make like an effective link building process um yeah okay cool so let's break it down let's assume
0: you know that the listener out there is interested in link building they want to like do a campaign maybe like What you were doing in the early days when you were doing everything? So, can you take us through the process from you know finding uh, good prospects, good websites to reach out to, how you actually contact them, what you email them with, just the general approach? It's a big process, so feel free to get started with a couple steps. You can pause, catch your breath. I'll ask some follow up questions. We can kind of go back and forth, but. So let's start at the very beginning and have uh, some links spit out on the other side. So someone wants sure. to get started. Let's say they have a, a website, you know, kind of a general, um, you know, affiliate marketing with some ads, some informational, some reviews. And let's say it's a photography
1: website. They focus on cameras, video gear, stuff like that. All right. Sure. So uh, any, any link building campaign is is made up of uh, of like three parts, I always think. Uh, one is the, the target page or like you could just say the target website. Uh, that's important because it influences the second part, obviously, which is your, your choice of prospects, the other like types of websites and industries that you're going to, to outreach to. Uh, and then the third part is your, your template or like your messaging for those prospects. And all of those, like they all kind of depend on each other and, and it's very interconnected. Uh, and, uh, so th- those are. Those are the three kind of pillars of, of a, an outreach campaign uh, in in my mind. And I think so for a new website. Uh, so I mentioned that one of these is like the target page or target website. I think for a new website and even for like until you have like 100 to 200 good solid links, I think it, it makes the most sense to not try and build links to specific pages, especially uh, like commercially focused pages, but just build links, build the best links you can to any page on your website to grow the overall authority so in terms of like that pillar of an outreach campaign that will be that's how i would think about that uh for for getting started is just doesn't matter whatever page you have that is going to let you build the very best links uh you should focus focus on that and as many of those links as as you can um and that will typically be like your informational pages like guides or or anything like that so for a a photography website like it might be. I don't know, guides about how to take photos in, in, uh, certain types of lighting or with different types of lenses or what lens to use. And I don't know anything about photography, but that seems like roughly uh, on point. Um, and I, probably the reason is obvious, but like, so when you, when you email uh, another website, you have like something of value to show them because they're, they're much more likely. If you have an awesome guide about shooting or taking photos in a certain type of lighting, they're much more likely to be willing to link to that because they see it as like valuable for their readers and so on. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the first thing. Uh, and then uh, second thing is to build your prospect list. Uh, there's two ways that I like to do this. Uh, one is to make a big list of your competitors and make a list of everyone who links to them, so other photography websites, throw them into Ahrefs, export the backlink profiles, and that is like your the, the start of like your your raw prospect list, um, and this is also with building the prospect list you start with a raw list like this so you can you can pre-filter it later and we can talk about that a bit later um and then yeah so exporting competitors link profiles and then also scraping google is another really good one so like you find uh you make a list of keywords that are related to your space so informational keywords are best for this also so again like keywords about how to take photos and different types of lighting and like photography rules and, and whatever uh and then scrape google for those uh and then yeah it's just another way to find like what you're looking for here which is websites that are related to your website that like a link from them is going to be a relevant link for your website and through through the these two ways like uh if you're if you kind of keep focusing on them and and keep expanding them you can for almost any website any industry you can find like some thousands of, of websites and if it's something like The health or finance space, you can find like tens or hundreds of thousands of of prospects just by, by doing this. Um, and that's like a a good raw list. And then the last part is your, like you need a compelling message to, to send to, to these prospects. Um, and yeah, the, the last step then would be to like filter this, uh, prospect list a little bit more. I can talk about how we would do that. Uh, and then yeah, writing the message, I could give a few tips uh, for that too, but. One most important thing about the message is you don't want it to appear like a bulk message. You, you can write an individual message for every single person. It's not the best approach. Better to just come up with a type of message that, uh, is like relevant enough to like the segment of websites that you're aiming for that when they read it, they, it doesn't stand out to them as being like a bulk email. Like it seems like, Oh, you wrote this just for me type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some general, uh, good, good rules of thumb. Okay. Perfect. For
0: the prospect list,
1: you mentioned, you know, you should
0: be able to find thousands of potential websites that could link to your site. Is there like a minimum that you would recommend? So assume someone's pretty novice and they're like, "I I don't know if I can get that many. What's like the minimum number in a prospect list before you
1: can start reaching out? Uh, for one campaign like i think if if you had 2 or 3 fairly re- or sorry 2 or 300 fairly relevant prospects that would be a good place good place to start um with the raw list you got to keep in mind that after you filter it more it's going to be cut down by half or or something like that then you also got to find contact information you won't be able to do that for everyone that will cut it down a bit more so all said like after you go through some of those steps you could start a, a campaign with, with two or 300, uh, prospects, I, I think. Um, but link building is a numbers game and you want to aim to build, you know, e- even for a website in a, in a low competition, uh, niche, I, I would want to aim for like, uh, like a good foundation of 50 to a hundred, like really, really good links and uh, ideally like a, a hundred plus, uh, links as a foundation. So. You kind of need to think about it in in that way uh, as well. So yeah, you can get started with a few hundred, but you also want to like, you know, find the next few hundred after that so you can get the next few links and, and keep it going, but you don't need them all at the start because you'll be limited by your email sending capacity. Like it's hard to warm up email accounts and send without get without ending up in the spam folder, so you're sort of, yeah, you're limited to like 50 emails a day or whatever anyway, so sure. it makes sense to kind of start small and and try and be consistent
0: how do you distill the list and refine it so you end up with that two or 300 good prospects
1: so the first thing would be to like go through and and like uh visually check them so uh the way i i would do this is to have them in your google sheet after you export from wherever and uh go through uh one by one and like if if a url uh looks like relevant then Sometimes I won't even check the website fully. Like if I can see like, oh, it's awesomephotography.com and like the rest of the URL is like an article that's relevant to, to like whatever the angle of my campaign is. I'm like, that's fine. I, I'm not, I'm not going to check that right now. Uh, but then if there's anything like, uh, it could or it couldn't be relevant, then I'll like manually open the website, check it and make sure that it is actually a website that is worth contacting. Cause obviously there's no point contacting a website that. Even if they reply to you and they're open to link building, they're not going to be a good fit anyway. So I think it makes sense to do that quickly uh, at, at the start. That's the first step. You'll get rid of some amount of them uh, by by doing that. Uh, I would train a virtual assistant to do it because it, it's you can come up with like uh, some fairly easy rules for them to follow. Like if this website has anything to do with photography, like it's a pass. If not, it's a fail, and they can just go through and do do a lot of this um, for like quite cheaply. Uh, then the next most important thing after that is to add some, uh, well, find contact information and also add some light, uh, personalization, uh, details. Um, one other thing before that is actually you can do an initial, uh, like bulk filtering based on like the level of the Dior and the traffic of the websites. So I'd remove everything that is like above or below Dior 10 and above Dior like 80, something, something like that. And also I'd remove anything that doesn't have like at least 500 traffic, like based on the HS metric. So that, that will get rid of, rid of a bunch, uh, right off the bat, even before you do this manual check, then you do your manual check. Then after that, uh, you go through the the list again and, uh, look for contact information for, for each of them. Um, and so I'll talk more about finding contact information in in a sec, because there's a few kind of clever steps to that. But, um, the, the 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 personal personalized information you want to gather or the personalization data is like type out the name of, of the website nicely so it's with the correct capitalization and everything like that. So you can use it in your your email template. Um, the the contacts name whenever you find them, like make sure that's correctly spelled and capitalization. And uh sometimes it makes sense to have like a like a personalized section in your email template. And so this is also an opportunity then to like look at the website and find something unique about them that you want to mention at the start of your, your email template or something like that. I would say that's really difficult to do. And if you're not good at it, it can sometimes backfire. It like, it ends up with like worse results than, than if you just have like a simple template. So it's definitely not required. But if you're kind of a good copywriter and like a good communicator by email, you can try to add some personalization like this. Uh, and yeah, so, so that's, that's what you need to achieve in, in the last step. Um, do you want to hear about the, the contact finding step? Yep. Let's do that. So, uh, th- so obviously firstly is like tools like hunter.io where you can just take, take your whole list of, of uh, websites. You put them into hunter.io and hit search and they have a database of, uh, of like email addresses associated with domains and, and they'll return like, whatever amount of those they have. For a typical a prospect list, you'll probably find like 30 or 40% of the list has uh, email addresses from from Hunter. Uh, so that's, that's one to check. Uh, but uh, I actually would advise not doing like just a raw or just a, a whole bulk check with Hunter. I think it's much better to like install the Hunter Chrome extension and uh, go through. So you would do this as part of your personalization uh, data step as well. Go through each website one by one, and actually, like, okay, the first thing, check Hunter and see if uh, see if you can see an email address there. It's really easy with the Chrome extension. You just click it. The email address, if there is one, appears right there, and you can see it. But then I would also click around the website, check the about page, check the contact page, everything like that. You'll often find email addresses there or whatever. Uh, even if not, uh, take note of the of the contact page because you might like if you can't find any good contact information the contact form might be your only option so I'll usually just uh drop that into my google sheet as well so I have a record of it for later um and all of that I would say is like the 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 basics of how to do this then if you don't find anything uh quickly from there I would then look at the so there's another tool uh on linkedin called sales navigator which is kind of expensive it's like 3 or 400 dollars a month something like that but they have really, really good data uh, about uh, people who work in different positions at various companies. And so, if if you go there, you find the company's LinkedIn page, and then you can see just a list of everyone who works there. You find the most appropriate person: content manager, writer, marketing manager, something like that. Whoever seems like they have the m- the best job title to talk about, like giving you a link, that's the one to to start with. Um, but you still don't have their email address. But just like take their name, so. It's like, you know, Jason Malone, and you're looking at weoutreach.com, uh, put that information into an email permutator, just Google email permutator, These t- there's these tools, first name, last name, domain, it will give you like 10 versions of the email address, and take that and put it into like the hunter.io verification tool or, or never bounce something like that. And like nine of them will be invalid, and then one of them will be valid. Okay, sometimes none, but and there's other things you can run into. But like in 70, 70% of the time or something, you'll find a valid email address. Um, and then you have an email address and that email address is much more valuable than one you get from Hunter because every spammy link builder out there is using Hunter and these are just like jaded, like abused email addresses. But when you, when you take the extra manual work to find one like this, that's someone who's less spammed and therefore more likely to reply to you. And so that's a powerful tip, I think. And I would take it further, like break out all your, your internet research skills to try and find someone, uh, read the author's names on the, on the website blog posts, Google them, try and find their personal websites. Maybe their email is there. Maybe there's a phone number there. Like really try and squeeze all the juice you can uh, out of the prospect list by doing the things that most link builders are not willing to do. And you can get an edge uh, by doing that. So. I think that pretty much covers the the contact finding uh, part of, of the process.
0: Okay, so next is warming up the email addresses and being able to like actually do the outreach. So for people that don't know, if you, um, you know, you have this list of hundreds of people, if you try to email all of them the same day with like a templated email, Google and other email providers are going to throw in the spam. This The mail servers are pretty good at catching this kind of stuff. So how do you effectively email these people so they actually can get the message?
1: Uh, so firstly, you got to start off slowly. So uh, like start, if you have a brand new email account, start by sending, you know, 10 emails a day, like on day one to, or even for like the first three days, 10 emails per day, something like that. Then, uh, you know, on, on days four through seven, increase it a little bit, let's say 20, 25 emails a day, something something like that. And just kind of keep nudging it slowly. You can do that if you have like a, a Google Workspace account or Google Suite or whatever they're calling it these days. Uh, you can pretty safely do that up to like 100 to 150 emails a day, something like that. Um, uh, but yeah do it slowly and gradually and the more the more history you build up with Google through this account the more like the more stable it becomes and the more likely they are to let you keep sending reasonable uh, amounts of emails um and then I, I think uh like the most important thing is to uh like you need you need a good response rate on your campaigns basically uh because that shows Google i i think it's uh like what seemed to be true That if you get more engagement on your emails, your email account appears less spammy and therefore you're, you're less likely to get suppressed by, uh, by spam filters or going to the promotion folder and stuff like that. So, uh, it's best if you have other uses for your email account as, as well. So like if you're ever like hiring someone, uh, advertise the job using your, your main email address that you're, you're doing your, your outreach for, because then people email, email that and then. The, the services see, like incoming email to this account. And also you're responding to these job applicants and stuff. Uh, uh, and so they see like back and forth and like evidence of a real conversation going on. And uh, all of those kind of quality sing- signals matter a lot. So like use it with your team, use it for hiring people. Like if you're inquiring about services of some other agency, like use that there, there so you can have a conversation back and forth. Anytime someone replies to one of your link building campaigns, make sure you reply to them again and like just get as much sort of real activity and inbound emails on the account as you can obviously real inbound emails like signing up to newsletters or something like that isn't really gonna uh isn't isn't gonna cut it i think and won't have the effect that you want um and there's also services that you can use that i don't really like actually like um where so you sign up to you pay like $9 a month or something. And the service will put your email account into a pool of other email accounts. And their software, like you give their software permission to access the Google account. And they will all like email, it will email all of the accounts from all of the other accounts. And like, it will reply to the emails and do what I've said you need to do. Like these services do that in the background, like using the API and stuff like that. But the reason I don't like that, it seemed to work for a while. And and I think, we did sort of experiment with them for a while, but to me, it, it like, it reminds me too much of like, um, like a, a, a closed link network or something like that. So like some sort of PBN or like a public version of a PBN, public blog network, I guess, um, that eventually gets found out by Google. And that always made me nervous with these types of services because most of the people using these are either like they have the lead generation services or like link builders. And I think like it creates a it must create an obvious pattern of like this pool of kind of websites and we have like we have tons of google accounts and like obviously our ability to do outreach is like the core of our of our process and it, it just seemed like way too risky to me to be to have all of our accounts in there and possibly get uh get flagged when like google rolls out some sort of update and like uh yeah like uh adds all these accounts to to like their spam list or or whatever so i i don't like those and i think I don't remember the details because I have an operations manager now and he kind of handles these details, but I think we stopped our experiments with these for some, there wasn't any big event like that, but th- there was some, something that made them less effective or something that caused us concern with them eventually. So I think it's better to avoid those. Uh, I'll give one like powerful tip. If you do want a way to do this is use microworkers campaigns. So microworkers.com, you go there, you set up a job and pay people like, uh, two, two cents per, per job, something like that. And the job is, Hey, uh, like fill in this Google form. They fill in the form. You have it connected to your, your email account. When they fill in the form, there's a simple script you can, you can set up in the back end so that your account emails them. And then the last bit of the micro workers job is to find that email in their inbox. If it's in the spam folder, mark it not spam and like wherever they found it, like type a reply and and write to you. And you can reply back to them and ask them to reply to you again or whatever. And, uh, that's a way that you can, you can pad out the sort of activity stats of your, of your email. And, um, yeah. So that's, there's a lot of, okay. There's all the basics too, which are like Google email deliverability. And you'll find like set up your, your SPF uh, information and your DMARC information and DKIM and all this other stuff. Like definitely do all of that. But those are like the basics. And what made the biggest difference for us was having this like real activity on the email account and we have like lots of google accounts and every single one of them goes to the inbox pretty much every single time uh use glockapps.com to test your deliverability uh i won't explain how it works it's just a simple tool and if you go to their website it it explains how it works and we do deliverability checks on all of our accounts once a week and yeah we inbox every time on, on every account for the last uh for the last uh few years so Okay. Yeah.
0: what was that tool that you just mentioned
1: uh Glockapps.com. okay
0: glock app so people yeah. often ask like hey what was that tool so glock apps yeah okay yeah. yep um couple quick follow-ups so do you use a gmail.com accounts or you're using like a specific domain associated with the campaign that you're just sending through Gmail or how is that set up?
1: Uh, good good question. Uh, we'll use it uh, like a secondary version of your main domain. So if you're weoutreach.com, register weoutreach.net and use that as your, as your outreach uh, address. Uh, it protects your main domain in case you do have any issues with like getting marked as spam or something. You don't want to uh, remove your ability to do email marketing or whatever with your main domain in the future. So yeah, secondary domain like that is is the is the best way, and uh, so Google Suite or Google Workplace, you can go there and register with your domain, and then it sets that Google like business service as your email settings for that domain, and that's the better way to do it than just using a, a Gmail account. Uh, it seems like because you're paying uh, them, you get like better treatment with deliverability and also higher sending volumes. Even in their documentation, I think it actually says that you have like two or three times as much sending volume with a paid Google account as with a free Gmail account. Um, that said, it's also good to have. So if you want to scale more, uh, like your daily sending volume more, a good way to do that is to have multiple accounts and you can use Gmail accounts for for that uh, sometimes. And I can't remember. It's kind of a like a, a somewhat dodgy website where you can only pay in bitcoin but it's called like ACCS market accounts market I guess I don't know if that's .com or it might even be or something like that I don't know but you can buy uh, aged gmail accounts in there uh, basically and I'm not sure if we still do this now but a few years ago we were doing this and it was pretty good so you could find gmail accounts that were registered in 2014 or 2015 you can buy them for 10 or twenty dollars, and the theory is that they they're older accounts, so they have like so they've never been used is my understanding they were just like registered back then, but uh there's kind of a bit to it like some of them go through they're more valuable if they' have went through different levels of verification. so if someone set up the account and verified an address and verified a phone number or something, that has a better that has more chance to like be a credible gmail account and better deliverability so like they're sold for more um but yeah you got to load in bitcoin and, and buy them with that no no dollars exchanging okay. hands here so but uh, that that's another another trick if, if you do want some some cheaper accounts to, to kind of yeah. pad out your selling volume all right man people will sell anything it's
0: crazy <laughs> how deep in the weeds you can get into this okay yeah. other yeah. questions so you got the two or 300, you found the contact information, you warmed up the email address, you're sending it a, a normal rate to not raise any red flags. What kind of response rate, what kind of conversion rate do you get back? And of course, there's different levels. Sometimes people reply back, tell you never to email them again. Some people say, hey, yeah. maybe in the future or whatever. So what kind of conversion rate are we looking at?
1: So I think a good response rate is like 15 to 20%. Some campaigns like can also be like closer to ten or less. If it's much less than ten, I'd really question if you're emailing, if you have the right type of messaging to the right uh, prospects. So talking again about like the three pillars of an outreach campaign there, like if you have a that we talked about, I don't know, like 30 minutes ago. If you have a mismatch between those, then you're sending the wrong type of message to the wrong set of prospects and you might get a worse response rate. And so uh, that's going to affect the whole campaign, obviously, and probably better to, to just ditch that one. Um, in terms of conversion rates, like overall, like one to 2% would be really, really good. Um, and many campaigns will also be less than that, like, uh, half percent conversion rate or, or something uh, along those lines. Um, and obviously. So there's a lot of that influences that overall, uh, conversion rate, like all of the. Small things you can do uh, along the way can all add up to like a, a better a better result there. So like uh, if you're a little bit better at uh, getting your, more of your emails delivered, more of your emails delivered means uh, like more emails read, more responses, more links, um, a better job finding the right prospects. Same thing, um, or like the right contact information. Uh, a better job like writing a compelling message. Same thing again. Like you you add to this number, and so I think about it as like a big funnel. And you start with like your raw prospect list at the top and then you filter it and it gets smaller. Then you send your, your, uh, initial emails and you know, it gets smaller. And at every step, you're just like losing people along the way. And eventually what you're left with at the bottom are the links. Uh, so, so yeah, if you think about it in that way, you can think about systematically improving each of the steps along the way. And that's how you eke out uh, better results at the end of the day. Have you ever had a campaign
0: that just really
1: blew away the normal conversion
0: rate where you got whatever, 10 to 15% links, you know, not just response rate, but you got those links, anything like that? Any cool story associated with it?
1: At 10 to 15%, I, I don't think we've ever had conversion rates quite, quite that high. Um, and sometimes, so it's actually, right now we probably have, I don't know, 500 campaigns running. And we would have like that we've had that every month for like the last two years. And I haven't been involved in like setting up any of them. So I actually don't know any of the of, of the recent uh, uh like standout performers, but but we do have there are always outliers. So but never to like a 10 or 15 percent conversion rate, but some will jump up to like 3 percent sometimes or, or something like that. And uh yeah, obviously, when you see those, you can also like in theory, your Uh, campaigns that the conversion rate should go up over time because at first you don't know what types of topics people are going to respond best to and and stuff like that and which segments of prospects are going to, are going to be the most fruitful. So you try like, you know, 10 different campaigns and you see, oh, like the two about like this type of topic work the best. Like people seem to really like these like articles about. Uh, taking photos in different types of situations or different types of landscapes. So let me try and do other uh, campaigns around that type of thing. And like they really like this messaging, so I'll try and do more of that. And you can bump up your your conversion rates with uh, with that. Like as time goes along and as you test and, and try different different things. But yeah, can't think of any specific uh, examples uh, right now. I, these days, I really just look at the links that come out at the at the end. We have a a big database of links that is like updating live. Like uh like in real time all through the day and, and I just go and check that and look at the links that are coming through at the end. Nice. So let's say someone runs a
0: campaign and I know we need to talk about the messaging. We're coming up towards the end. So I'm gonna try and wrap up stuff fairly quickly. Sure. Hopefully you can go a little long here. Sure, yeah. And let's say someone, you know, they get started, they've gone through this excruciatingly painful process of like getting the list, distilling it, sending out a fuckload of emails. They got um, maybe a couple links, but they're, they're below the 10% threshold. They know there's some issue. How do you start troubleshooting? Let's say it's one of your clients, right? So you've done everything, like the system works, but it's just underperforming. So where do you look first and
1: how, how do you kind of troubleshoot the process? Uh, so uh, usually like the biggest thing to look for is, is a mismatch between the prospects you're emailing and the messaging you're use, you're using to email those. So, uh, what, what is really, really common is people, uh, don't manually check each of the prospects, uh, closely enough before sending the campaign. They just do like a big sort of bulk campaign, like build the raw prospect list and just email everyone on the raw prospect list. And you're going to have like 30% of the people in there that are just not not relevant enough. So you'll have websites that are about like any sort of random topic you can think of sports or health or mental wellness or whatever. And you're emailing them with a template that's like, hey, I see you like photography stuff. Like I got this nice article about photography or, or whatever. And that's obviously a mismatch. And that that just yeah tanks all of the metrics uh, of, of a campaign. That's the most obvious thing uh, to, to look for. Um, or sometimes if you're building prospect lists with a, uh, like, well, with any method actually, but one or two, uh, like if you're scraping Google, you can have, uh, you can be scraping for some keywords that you think, oh, these keywords will, uh, will produce relevant prospects. And like, you know, if you have like a hundred keywords, maybe 70 of them are good, but the other 30 are just producing prospects that are just completely off. And so your whole sort of prospect list is contaminated by by this uh, this type of stuff. So that happens. And same with if you're doing it from uh, link profiles, like uh, pulling link profiles of competitors, you can have one bad competitor that has like a thousand links. And then if you only have like that can that can also throw off your, your campaign a lot as well. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And then another thing is there's a ton of variables here. And like many times, it's not possible to come up with any sort of solution. A lot of times the best you can come up with is like a theory. And sometimes that's not even a theory that will be like too strongly held because the evidence for it isn't that strong. And a lot of times it's just this just isn't working. We've we've checked like the fit. We've checked that it, it matches all of our usual things. Our deliverability is good. Our messaging is good and it's just it's not working. And then it's better to just like to just drop it. Um, And the thing is, you're limited by your email sending capacity. So if you think you only have like a hundred emails per day that you can send and you have like let's say three campaigns running at once and one of them is performing like terribly, it just makes so much sense just to like stop that one and then you give all of that available volume to the two campaigns that are are working and then they produce more links and so that's a that's a big constraint that actually in a way helps and encourages you to only focus on on your best campaigns cool.
0: So one one quick tip, which I'm jumping ahead, um, but you probably can't do it at the agency so much. But if you do land a link and you, you get a guest post or, or however it works out, it's great to ask that person if they have any blogging friends that might be interested in working together and collaborating. You have a warm introduction and that's like the highest conversion rate you can get versus like these cold emails, which, you know. Yeah. Even the best case scenario, it's like 20% um, like response rate and only a handful of those uh, work out. So, warm introductions are one of the best things you can do. Um, okay. So, Jason, you, uh, you're starting to email folks or you, we need a message. So, wh- what do you put in that message? You mentioned some personalization, some other stuff. What other details can you provide in
1: that uh, template that you guys use? I think these days, it's the best to be pretty simple and straightforward. There was an era in like 2016 to 18, when this outreach stuff, there weren't so many people doing it. And it made more sense to be like a little bit more creative and flowery and funny in your messages because people, website owners were so unused to them. And like you compliment their website and they're like, wow, that they think I'm cool. But now, actually, a lot of times I think Because website owners are so jaded and so spammed by this type of thing for years, they just see that as bullshit now. And actually it, it like backfires. So I think the approach these days, uh, it's much more effective to just be simple and straightforward. And, uh, like, yeah, try and give the impression that you're emailing them individually, but the way to achieve that is through good choice of your prospects. So if you have a, a nicely segmented prospect list and you know, okay, everyone on this list is a website about photography. Then when you write your email, you can make it sound like you're talking directly to them because you're talking about like just about photography or about their website about photography without mentioning anything too specific, but it is specific for them because it's so relevant. And so I think that's the trick to personalization these days is not to personalize for one individual. Uh, each individual website, but to personalize for like uh, a, a segment uh, of websites. And uh, then aside from that, like, don't like fuck around in the email for want of a better term, just like get directly to it. Like, hey, I run this website. I'm interested in your website. I'll be right up front with you. I want a link. Uh, can we make that happen? Uh, and like maybe suggest some content that you have or or have some sort of other ask, suggest a guest post or a link exchange or something like that. And I think the biggest thing these days is be simple and straightforward and also realize that most link building these days is transactional in some way or another. So in 2017, you could send an email like, hey, I really like your website. I have this nice piece of content. Will you link to me? That really doesn't work uh, as, as well these days, just for like average kind of link building campaigns. And so it's much better to tell them, like, try and give them something first. So email them and say... Hey, like, uh, I, I'd really like a link. Like, let's make that clear. But before that, like, how about we do a link exchange and, and I'll build you the link first. So you don't do anything for me. I just, I'm going to build you an awesome link. And like, if you like the link, then you give me a link back. If you don't, like, okay, that's cool. Like I can build you another one or like whatever, but like the f- make them happy first. And that's why uh, link exchanges are really good. And also guest posting as well. If you're good at writing like really, really good guest posting that. Is, I mean, that's a whole topic in itself, but guest posting that will fit in with their website and everything like that, that can be really uh, a compelling offer as well. So you're making a deal with this person and you need things to be able to, need things of value that you can offer them from your side of the deal. Another one is just like cash, like paying them for a link. Problem with those is many of those websites very quickly just sell out completely and and turn to like uh, like shitty sort of mink farm type of, of websites. So you need to be a bit careful with that. But those are the, those are, I think the three things that you should be open to offering while making a deal with a website. Uh, so, yeah, keep it simple, be direct, uh treat it like a transaction and also treat it like the start of building a relationship and think about giving them value first, because if you give them value first and you make the right first impression, they'll they'll love you forever. And they understand that, like, this is someone I can do business with. We've had a good transaction. We see eye to eye on these things. And then that's valuable for you in in the future, uh, in the future as well.
0: Cool, and much more likely to get that warm introduction to other people within their network, also. For sure. What is the? Can you give us a price range for like how much people are asking, and maybe you could throw in like a the domain rating and stuff like that to give us a gauge on how much it costs these days.
1: Uh, so, like a typical website, let's say like Dior, twenty to forty um i mean there's a big range some will ask for twenty dollars those are the ones you should avoid uh some will ask for like 50 to a few hundred dollars two or three hundred dollars uh for for that sort of range i i would say um and the average is in and around a hundred dollar mark i would say but for anyone who says a hundred dollars you should be able to negotiate it down uh pretty much Uh, or you should be able to negotiate a good amount of the hundred dollars um and i would aim like for decent links that are like let's say less than Dior 50 or 60, uh, I would aim for paying like seventy to a hundred dollars like max. Uh and never take the first price that they give you as the price that you're gonna pay. If someone says, oh, it'll be $150, then like offer them like $40 or something like that, usually wrapped in in some sort of excuse. Oh my boss like I really need you know links this month my boss he only gives me a budget of like forty dollars per per link like could you could you like help me out with this or something along those lines and um or or whatever sort of emotional strings you want to try and pull but uh the the point is that uh there's no they're not selling like a commodity here or like usually not a big business that has kind of fixed prices for the links that they're selling there's a lot of flexibility and when they throw out a price, it's just like, oh, yeah, this person seems interested. Seems like I could get one hundred and fifty dollars for myself here. Like, I'll chance my my arm with that. And they throw that out. But if you say, "No, nah, that's too much," I'm I'm going to leave very quickly. You'll find it's like, oh, what about a hundred dollars? They're like, oh, oh no, it's still. What about seventy dollars? Like, come on, just let me do this. Because if they lose the deal, they get zero, and that's what they're that's what they want to avoid. So, yeah, I mean, I guess don't be a dick about it, but that's the sort of approach you need to take uh, and you can really control the cost of your link building with that sort of uh, approach and uh, sometimes too you find a really really good link that you know a high Dior site that and i mean d is just one of the quality factors like there's a lot of other things to consider but you find a good site that's that's worth it i mean it's also worth spending a few hundred dollars if, if you find that really really uh, good link uh, as well and that happens and yeah, some sites also know their their value and they're not willing to negotiate at all, but it's kind of a good sign in a way. If they know their value and you also know their value, then maybe it's actually worth spending the two or $300 to, to get a nice link.
0: Right. Got it. Okay. And so many more questions, but I'll just ask a couple more. So I often have people say, hey, you know, I got a company to build a few links and I think it helped a little bit. I got four links one thing that you mentioned a couple of times is a good foundation for a new site is like a hundred links. And I know there's a shitload of people out there that are thinking, Hey, I only do content. I saw these, you know, YouTubers or whoever, they're like, I only publish content. I don't do any link building. A hundred links sounds like a, a joke. That's impossible. Yeah. How do how do you respond to that? Like the thing is like, I know it takes like a, a good effort just like with content, you know, people are like, I'll publish, you know, three articles a day for a year but they won't put that kind of effort into link building and it takes the same kind of effort with link building where you have like hundreds of links so like what kind of effort should people be putting in what kind of expectations so let's say they get like 10 links will they even notice anything for any of their their rankings or anything
1: so if it's a totally new website i i think i would not expect to see much from from 10 links and pretty often the way I I respond to people who, who, so you shouldn't think of link building in a way where I invest like 10 links and the output is like X rankings, like, or I invest X links, I get Y rankings. Like that doesn't really work for many, many reasons. And I I think the way for people to understand this is people who are really good at producing content, they also don't think about their content in that way. Like, I think most people don't think, I build five articles uh, or x articles and i get y traffic most people think about it more like i have the list of like 100 articles that i could build and like the way i'm going to do this is just like whatever i can manage five to ten articles uh, a month and i'll just slow and consistently keep doing that and the best results that i see with link building are with like a similar approach as that so pick a level that you can sustain and then just work on doing that every month if it's five or ten links uh, a month whether it's with an agency or like setting up your own processes to do this, just aim, aim for something that you can sustain. Um, and then it adds up over time. So if you need a hundred links for a good foundation of your website, it doesn't mean you need them like next week in like in a year from now or in 18 months from now, aim to have your, your initial foundation of a hundred links, something like that and try and approach it slow and steady. And I think. It depends a little bit on the competitiveness of your niche too. That's that's something. But so that is to say, I think always like fifty to a hundred links is is a really solid foundation to get started. Like almost regardless of of your your industry. Um, some industries will you will need like many many more links if you want to go into the VPN industry or something like that. You'll talk about like you need six hundred links, not a hundred links or or whatever, um, or many other competitive industries. So that, that's a, that's a consideration, uh, as well. But I think the harsh reality of it is, uh, we're kind of gaming an algorithm here. That's what we're doing with, with SEO. The content is one important part of that. And the link building is another important part of that. And if you're trying to only do it with content and you're competing against someone, it's like having one arm tied behind your back and you're in a boxing match with someone who has both hands in front of them. And that's the sort of. Difficulty you're setting yourself up for if, if you don't, uh, dedicate some of your resources to, to link building. So even if it means that you have less resources to invest in your content so that you can put at least some into link building, that's going to get a better, a better output because it's, it's so important and, and so impactful. Honestly, the last thing I'll say about this, trying not to go too long with my answer. I struggle with that. But, uh, the, la- the last thing to say about this is when I think about SEO, like I have a simple SEO formula in my head. That's like, uh, the, the content quality multiplied by like your kind of topical relevance of the website as a whole multiplied by the links. And you get like your like ranking power as a result of those three things. And the, if you think about the first two, the topical relevance and the content quality, let's just focus on content quality for a second. Uh, There's only, there's only so uh or content optimization or quality there's only so good you can make an individual article like relative to the competitors like once you get it to be like really fucking good it doesn't matter if you like add something else to it like you're only going to get like a tiny bit better or whatever in the eyes of the algorithm but with links there's no ceiling on the links it's like if you build twice as many links as you have right now your like ranking power at the end like goes goes up uh like exponentially and uh i think that's I think, well, I think people don't sit down and like logic this out for themselves about why link building is so uh, insane, insanely valuable. And like, as a link building agency owner too, like, and you know yourself, everyone in the SEO industry knows like everyone just wants links and like more links and more better links and everything like that. And I think the reason for it is that everyone knows this kind of intuitively that it's the one thing that you can do that has no ceiling. And if you're competing with people, uh, like. You get yourself right self to the right level with your your content and then after that it's just like a war of links uh basically and whoever has more links and more authority is going to win and yeah so i have a link building agency i have biases but (laughs) i think if you just look at it objectively it's like it's a critical part of of success and yeah you really really should focus on it you took my punchline. i was going to say that's the
0: answer (laughs) that a link building agency owner would give you're like you just need more links everybody (laughs) You need more left. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. So we, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't even get into that we talked about in the pre-interview, but maybe we'll, we'll catch up later. We didn't even talk about the team of 20 managing them, your COO, blah, blah, blah. But for We Outreach, who is the right sort of client? Like what, what kind of budget are they looking at? Let let us know who the right person that you guys want to work with um, is.
1: Uh yeah. So um usually small businesses or, or website owners, I would put those in in the same kind of category. Like businesses that have teams of like uh 10 or less, or like let's say 20 or less, something something like that. Um, and also who have sort of a similar mindset as us when it comes to SEO and, and link building. So I think you can kind of gather the philosophy that I have from that spiel I, I just gave about like how Google is an algorithm, like our whole game here is like gaming this algorithm, like links are, are one part of that, having kind of a clear understanding of that and a clear understanding that you need to take sort of an uh, assertive approach to doing that with with link building. So not getting caught up in like, oh, well, Google says you shouldn't build links, so we, should, we shouldn't should build links or things like that. People are, or if you have that sort of approach to link building or SEO, like we're not a good fit because we, we are... We're like aggressively trying to build links that meet certain standards, and that's one thing that uh, we didn't get to today talking about, like quality framework or something like that. But that's also like really, really important. And uh, if you understand, yeah, the value of links and the value, I guess, of good links, and, and also how that fits into your overall SEO strategy, that will usually make us a good fit. Uh, and also that you already have a good understanding of SEO as well, like you have an SEO strategy in place, you have an ability to, to produce content. Ideally, ideally, you already have like some traction in in Google. Your like a website is decently well uh, established, and you understand. Okay, I can see where links plug into this whole uh, strategy that will help me game the algorithm more effectively. Then we're we're generally going to be uh, a good fit. Uh, our budget is like I think our our lowest package starts around uh, two thousand dollars a month. So it's not super cheap, uh, but. It's difficult to build uh, high quality links, especially as an agency. So, yeah, uh, so around two thousand dollars and upwards is is kind of where it starts. Awesome. Okay, we'll link up
0: for uh, your website, and people can learn more. Is there anywhere else that you
1: want people to
0: uh, follow you or you know check you out?
1: I-, I think I think the website is the best one. Uh, weoutreach.com. dot and I'll I'd mention two specific pages too. Uh, one is uh we outreach.com slash link hyphen quality just because i mentioned our quality framework now and it's like it's a big part of what we do so if anyone wants to learn more about that they should go and check out uh that page specifically and yeah it's a it's a long article and quite in-depth and i think uh yeah your audience will probably find it useful
0: cool we'll link up uh for both of those thanks a lot jason and hopefully we'll catch up
1: soon cool thank you doug